Well, thank you so much for joining us today as we lift up our Lord Jesus Christ and honor Him. Uh, We're going to be doing that uh, through our normal series here in Mark, Mark chapter 1. I'm Steve Coleman, a member of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel, and we're going to continue this study that we have in the book of Mark. But before we start in the text I wanted to tell you briefly about an online shoe company called Zappos. Zappos was started by Tony Heisch 10 years ago. It now grosses $1 billion a year in sales. That's remarkable enough. But wait till you hear their hiring practices. It's their hiring policy that has the business world talking. All newly hired employees go through four weeks of training and are then offered $2,000 in cash to quit. That stands things on its head. Tony Heiss says paying these employees to quit saves the company money by weeding out people who would eventually jump ship anyway and leaves only those employees who are more passionate in their commitment to their new employer and its philosophy of business. Interesting. Well, if you've been a Christian for at least several years, you may be able to think of a time when you were more passionate about the things of God than you are now. I don't have to think very hard to remember some of those times. Time when I was excited at an opportunity to read my Bible. I couldn't wait to get together with other people to pray. It felt like my heart burned for God. But you know, some of that's to be expected. As we mature in our faith, initial excitement fades but it's replaced with a deep drive that fuels steady growth. The danger for us, however, is that things can become routine, automatic, matter-of-fact. This morning gives us a chance to look at some things in a fresh way. Mark challenges his first-century readers and us to realize the full impact of the revealed Jesus and the good news of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. So if you have your Bible or cell phone, let's look at Mark chapter 1. Now as we read this, you want to ask yourself the question, what is the new reveal Mark is emphasizing in this paragraph? Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were all amazed at his teaching, for he's teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the words that we've just read. Lord, they are life to us, and we're grateful for them. So as we talk about these, 
We, we ask, I would ask that your words would be the ones heard and remembered, that um, things originating from me would, uh, would not stick. Look forward to what you're going to do today in this passage and in our hearts as we talk about it. Your name, amen. Well, what led up to these incidents? We're early in Mark's gospel. Um, you know, we're still in this introducing part. Where, where Mark is this initial reveal to his readers of Jesus. So we started with, um, uh, two weeks ago, Julie introduced the book and talked about this new prophet on the scene, John the Baptizer, who would uh, have reminded the people of Elijah and the promises of God. God was moving. Mark was letting his readers know that. Jesus was baptized, and it was far from a normal baptism. We had the heavens torn open and a voice saying, You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. God's affirmation of Jesus. And after the baptism, Jesus was led into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan. Definitely not your usual rabbi. Then David spoke last week about the message Jesus announced, the good news of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, God's rule on earth, no longer would Satan's domain have absolute chokehold on humanity. And then after that, Jesus called his first four disciples. Jesus picked men who were working with their backs and with their hands to wrestle a living from the Sea of Galilee not necessarily your scholarly types. Well, this week, Mark continues with introducing new things about Jesus from the perspective of who he is and what he came to do. So Jesus attends this synagogue on the Sabbath. We know from old records that there were synagogues spread throughout the country, um, and these were gathering places for the Jews. These sprung up after the captivity Israel had and their return to the land as places to have the word of God read and have rabbis speak on it. So as a rabbi, Jesus apparently got the opportunity to teach on this day. Um, and we, we read there, Jesus went into the synagogue, began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Jesus gave a new teaching. Mark doesn't say anything about what Jesus taught, except that earlier reference to the good news and that the kingdom of God was at hand. Why not? Why didn't Mark talk to us at all about what Jesus talked uh, about that day? Well, you know, Mark's account, and you're going to see this as we go through the book of Mark, it's not quite like Luke, who gives a, a number of details, sometimes a lot of details, or Matthew's trying to explain how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Mark is very careful with his words, uses very few words, focuses right on the point. So because he has few details, the details that are presented are important. Things not detailed in the text, like what Jesus spoke about, are not important to Mark's reveal. So it wasn't the content, but the power of the words 
that Mark is emphasizing here. He spoke not like the scribes. Scribes were teachers of the law. They knew the law backward and forward. These were the PhDs uh, of the time. So when they were in a room, usually they were the smartest people there. They knew their stuff. With their learning and memory, they'd quote from the rabbis of old and, and bring those comments and quotes in to illuminate the Scripture. The power of their words came from how good they were, how sharp they were at quoting from the wisdom of the highly regarded rabbis, the most highly. They took, got their authority from the uh, authority of the rabbis they quoted. Jesus' teaching was different. It's not based on quoting the most revered rabbis, but it had intrinsic value. His words were the words of God. He spoke out of his own great substance. Didn't have to refer to anybody else. We read in John 1 that Jesus was the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the words that He spoke were the very words of God with all the power of God behind them. This is something the scribes could never do when they spoke. I remember being a mischievous little guy playing with my sisters. They might describe maybe an alter, evil alter ego. I like to think of it as mischievous. So I would give them fits. And my sister would come up to me and say, Daddy doesn't like what you're doing, and he's going to come up here and make you stop. She was a firstborn, can you tell? And you know what? She'd say that, no effect. I guess every time this happened, I must have been feeling lucky. But it's like, yeah, daddy, right. Until I heard the steps in the hallway, and my father's voice cut through. Stephen, the power and authority of the source of the voice made all the difference. With Jesus, the people were hearing the very words of God. So Jesus' words had ultimate power. It astounded the people. The Greek word is really strong here. It's used infrequently in the Bible. It's used outside of the Bible to mean smitten, struck, or even knocked over. So Jesus spoke words with the kind of authority that an author would have about their own book. Absolute, final the final word, ultimate power. And the people were shocked. They had their minds blown at hearing that. So this is part of Mark's reveal, that Jesus taught with power because he spoke the very words of God. He, we also have the comment that he commands unclean spirits and they obey him. So we read, just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you're the Holy One of God. Let's look at the features of this confrontation. Notice again, we don't have any information about part of the story. 
We don't have any information about the man. Was he a regular at that synagogue? Who was he? Not a word, because that's not important to Mark's reveal what he's trying to show here. Well, what is important? Well, there's a cry, and the the Greek word is a cry from the depth of the throat, sort of a guttural scream from the unclean spirit. It's terrified. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. The unclean spirit is terrified. Then it literally says in Greek, what to you, no, what to me and you. That's the literal Greek words. That's why your translation may say something different. It's really a Hebrew idiom that's being written in Greek words, uh, but the Hebrew idiom is, is uh, talking about a situation where two parties have nothing to do with each other, but somehow they're in conversation. So it's like, what do I have to do with you? What business do we have with each other? This has nothing to do with me. Or even, what are you doing here? You know, there's a disconnect. Then the Spirit adds, have you come to destroy us? Acknowledging that its fate is sealed. Another place in Mark, a Spirit asks if if Jesus would destroy it before the time. God determines the final fate of Satan and these fallen spirits. We know that from Scripture. They're doomed in Scripture. And God's word on that has ultimate power. The final question the, uh, this unclean spirit asks, I know who you are, the Holy One of the God. That's what the Greek says, the Holy One of the God. Now, Greek doesn't, language doesn't tend to throw around a lot of those articles. And we, we don't in English in that case either, the Holy One of God. But by using that article, the Holy One of the God, really puts an emphasis on it. It's an emphatic way to say it in Greek, that this was the Son of God, the Son of the God. Very definite. Uh, so even though Holy One of God is one of the titles of Jesus, the predicted Messiah in the Old Testament, it's not used very frequently, used in Isaiah largely, but uh, this definitely is the Spirit sort of sort of confirming this is the Messiah. This is the one from God. Well, this story uh, and similar ones in Mark that he will provide, and you're going to hear about in chapter 3 and chapter 5, depict this conflict between the kingdom of God and the domain of Satan that we see playing out between Jesus come to bring the kingdom of God and this unclean spirit who represents those that are occupying and running this dominion of Satan's. The kingdom of God first breaks through, according to Mark, with this confrontation in the spiritual arena rather than the human arena. So what this really means is in this first half of the first chapter of Mark, The first two confirmations of Christ's identity come from first, the Father at his baptism, and then secondly, from the mouth of this unclean spirit here. 
So Mark is setting up very much a spiritual tone, an idea that we're talking about a spiritual thing here. That's part of this reveal. The confrontation is now set up, and Mark gets to the conclusion. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. More impressive than Jesus' authority as a teacher, we see now, is his supremacy in the supernatural realm. As with the teaching, Jesus uses only words to simply banish the unclean spirit. And he obeys. Not only does Jesus have the power to do this, he had the power to do it with one sentence. Seven words. He doesn't have to repeat himself. There's no discussion. There's no back and forth. There's no asking. No need for Jesus to first pray about it. He has the ability through one sentence to banish unclean spirits. That's ultimate power. Jesus has this irresistible power which he wields with his words. He speaks and the Spirit goes. Well, what's the implications of this? What does this mean? What does Mark intend for his readers to get from this? There's one other interesting aspect to this I want to point out. The term unclean spirit is interesting. Mark uses it a number of times. It's not really used that much outside of Mark. I think, at least I would, usually think of saying evil spirit instead or a demon. Well, you know, if you remember back to the Old Testament, think Leviticus. Remember all that stuff about clothes and food and what's ceremonially clean and what's ceremonially unclean? God tried to teach Israel about his nature and what set-apartness means, what holiness means. And we read in Leviticus 10.10, God's saying, This is to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and clean. God was interested in making clear object lessons for his people. Okay, getting back to uh, our scenario, at the time, the world had become tainted. It was in the grip of Satan. It was Satan's domain. Things haven't changed a lot since then, but still, this is uh, the realm in which evil does operate. Uh, But the theme of the Bible, that God will redeem people, means that God must reach into a world that's corrupted by sin to rescue those people. The unclean spirit calls Jesus the Holy One, the set-apart one from God. That which is unclean, defiled, and evil identifies the Son of God as clean, pure, and morally perfect. We're meant to see that contrast. I think that's why Mark likes the word unclean to describe the Spirit. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've, over the years I've donated blood and a number of times to the uh, American Red Cross. And uh, every time I do it, one thing sort of strikes me. Uh, Amazing is not quite the right to say it. Maybe annoying would be a better word. But 
prior to actually donating, they scrub my arm with multiple disinfectants. And then in a final step, they smear about half my arm with orange stuff. You ever had that experience with a doctor? Yeah. Uh, So that there'll be no contamination where the break will come in the skin. Everything near the site of the procedure is completely sanitized. Well, Jesus comes, God reaches into this planet like a doctor or nurse who has to clean and sterilize the area he's working on. So this is what God does as his kingdom advances. He reaches in, he cleanses hearts, gives new life, gives his Holy Spirit. And every time that happens, it creates another place on earth that's set apart, that's clean, that's sterile, that's holy. And that's how his kingdom advances. Uh, This is Mark's reveal to his readers in this whole section, that Jesus' words have ultimate power to make happen what needs to happen. Whether it's the transforming uh, work through teaching, whether it's the rolling back of Satan's domain uh, demonstrated by his being able to, to cast out unclean spirits. Because, you know, the the need of the human race is twofold. First of all, we need a substitute for us to pay the penalty for sin. But secondly, we also need someone with the power to rescue us from the domain of sin. So we have in both, uh, we have both in Jesus and Mark, uh, we have both of these in Jesus. And Mark is revealing that characteristic of Jesus' words and that they have the ultimate power. If Jesus is going to be our liberator and rescue sinners from the kingdom of darkness, satanic dominion, then that liberator must have power over that kingdom. And Jesus' Jesus' words have that power. We read in 1 John, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. In Colossians 1.13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the place was abuzz. This new teaching, these spirits, he commands them, and they obey. All this power. The connection between Jesus' words and the power is very closely connected in this chapter, and it's what Mark is trying to get across to us. You know, uh, God's words um, show up a little more often than we think. We read in Isaiah 11 that God is going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Well, what do you suppose that means? His words. Of course, we're all familiar with Genesis 1. God spoke and there was light. In Revelation, it talks about uh, the, this, <clears throat> this God coming in great power and glory is having a sword coming out of his mouth. Again, probably a reflection of words. When Jesus reads in the synagogue that's recorded in Luke, and he opens to Isaiah 61 and, and says that he's here to proclaim good news to the poor. And, and on and on, the words are re- referenced several times. 
Mark reveals the power of God's Word. But the question then comes to us. What is the reveal for us? We we got it now. We understand what Mark's trying to do for his readers. He's trying to introduce them to Christ. And they've seen him in all these things. And now it's like, gee, this, this is the guy. Very words represent this ultimate power of God. Well, for us, what does it mean? Well, certainly the principle is Jesus teaches and things change. Things happen. When Jesus speaks, even unclean spirits obey. Power and authority greater then the smartest people of the day comes from Jesus and greater than any spiritual power. By his words, spirits have to flee and troubled people are set free. And he keeps doing that. Through Jesus, through the word of God. So we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, but we also have this word of God. Now, my Bible's beaten up, guys, but you know what? It looks like a tattered book, but inside, this is still the very words of God, and they have the power. We get the opportunity to read them, particularly this, this uh, time period where you all know much more about reading than the average person did even a thousand years ago. We can read it for ourselves, and we have it in abundance. We read in Hebrews that the Word of God is living, and it's powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. It shakes us to the core. It cuts right down, reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. Read elsewhere that His Word never returns empty. In other words, it goes out, it doesn't like, well, that didn't do anything. No, it always has a result. It comes back that way. So my challenge for myself as I, you know, we, I stu- we all study these messages and then you, you look and you say, wow, I really need to improve over here. And for me, the improvement is I've got to learn how to read the Bible with expectation. I need to... Uh, get back to reading the Bible so that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reading it for impact. Studying the Bible is great. There's also room for reading the Bible. Studying the Bible, for me, can, and I know for others, can sort of kick it up into a mental thing. Reading the Bible has, also has great value. But either way, whichever you're doing, this is what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to pray before I read. And pray and ask God for my heart to be open and for him to work in my heart. And tell him that I'm determined to have that be true. I want that. I allow time to read whatever I'm reading multiple times and think about it. So if I have to cut it down to shorter chunks, even a verse, uh, I'll do it so that I make sure I have time to go over it a few times. And then asking questions of the text. I have three here. What did the text mean to the first readers? Sort of helps keep me on track. What truths stand out to me or affect me? 
kind of a general question, but that'll help pry out some of these things, give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to show to you something that stands out. And then how do I need to align myself with God's truth in my thinking, in my heart, my actions? My thinking needs it most of all. That's where transformation happens. And then finally, when I'm done, pray for God to fill my mind with his words. That For an old guy, the, the translation to that is help me remember what I just read and transform me by them. That's, that's a challenge for myself. I think that uh, recognizing that these are the very words of God, that they have all the power of God behind them, makes it a book worth spending that time because we know it ha- will have its effect. There's a word, and uh, some people may have experienced, déjà vu. That's from the French, literally means already seen, and you know the phenomenon. It's of having a strong sensation that an event or an experience currently being experienced has already been experienced in the past. Deja vu. We know the late comedian George Carlin coined a phrase, vuja day. It's the opposite of deja vu. Vuja Day is having a fresh set of eyes to see the same thing as everyone else, but understanding it in a unique way. Love comedians for that. They always give you this new way to look at things. The, and, and then it goes on, the experience of Vuja Day is usually accompanied by a compelling sense of unfamiliarity, also a sense of shock, awe, or suddenly feeling lost. So in other words... It's like looking at what you're reading for the first time. That, it would be great if we could have a switch and we could just capture that sense to it. Look like it. Be able to look at the text like it's your first time reading them. With God's help, he will, he'll have us do that. He'll answer that prayer to, for us to see things in there that we need to apply our hearts. He's not the slow one to pick up on those things. We are. If we pray for that openness and go after, go after it with, um, with a new attitude, uh, I think we will see some results in our own hearts. Well, let me have you stand. We're not going to have any reprise of the song, so I'm going to pray, and that will stand as the, ded- the uh, benediction, and after that we'll be dismissed. Our dear Lord, fill us with your peace and your boldness as we live our lives uh, in you and for you in front of the people that we're going to meet this week. Help us see you with fresh eyes every morning and see your word with fresh eyes every time we read it. In your name, amen. Thank you very much. You're dismissed.